0: What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to sensorina.com to check it all out.
1: On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Justin Goldman. Uh, Justin, absolute legend in the goalie space. Uh, got three fantastic books, maybe more I'm not aware of. Uh, goalie uh, Global Goalie Retreat, which is fantastic. Uh, goalie guild lift the mask challenge uh, just doing great things in the, the hockey world uh, for goalies and you know technical stuff is great but also the mental side which is truly uh, amazing and talking about mental
2: health it, it's a lonely position man it's a lonely position and it can be full of so many um, emotional and and physical challenges obviously so there's got to be a space for goalies to go um, that's safe and that, you know, really is a place where they can have conversations about just what they're going through. Um, cause goalies go through a lot of different things when they're alone in the crease and they don't always have the support, especially at a younger age. Um, so that's, that's really a big passion of mine is just giving goalies that outlet and that safe space to go, um, to have a conversation or just get the help that they need.
1: Yes. Um, Long time listeners, I, I mean, I am i haven't taught goalies in way too long, but uh, long time <laughs> listeners will know my brother's a goalie, played AAA for a long time. So I, I know enough to be really dumb about this stuff. Uh, and obviously, as a shooter, I'm very interested in all of this stuff. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do like to start on that part where we're talking about lonely and, and a lot of the mental game. Because uh, especially in the NHL, like the difference between goalie number, maybe not number one, two, and three, those guys are kind of freak sometimes like that comes (laughs) to mind You see Saros like good luck trying to do that right Um, but everyone else like the the margins are so thin and it's like basically a mental game of who's feeling confident in their abilities at at that time and you mentioned something I think is really important especially for youth players and parents and coaches like they don't really have anyone to go to as they start out on this journey. Um, and it's, it's a really a lifelong journey of learning to manage ourselves, which I think is absolutely fascinating. And that kind of leads into what you normally talk about when you, you do your books. I, I'm curious to hear the inspiration behind it a little bit um, and really what you're trying to attack. And if you can give us maybe a cliff note, like what are some lessons from your books? Uh, because for, for me, it was kind of like the inner game of tennis where it was kind of like, mm-hmm. how do we manage ourselves talk to ourselves little tools tricks of the trade um and understand that okay we're we're not alone in this like we may be dealing with it by ourselves especially on a team where like you may have one two other people that's it but you're not the only one out there like there's there's a bunch of people going through the same thing
2: yeah i think i think you you know you um, set the stage very cleanly for me because it really is, you are alone on an Island. And for me personally, you know, I grew up in a very non-traditional hockey background. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, North Texas. um, And I was that first wave of youth hockey players in the Dallas area when the stars came from Minnesota. So I personally experienced a lack of resources and a lack of a goalie coach and a lack of um, adults that, understood what it meant to be a goalie. Nobody in my family was a goalie, right? I had no one to turn to, to help guide my journey as a young goaltender at the ages of 12, 13, 14, 15, these really crucial ages for, you know, emotional and social development. So as someone who experienced a lack of those resources, when I got to college, and I was old enough to know, hey, this is something that a lot of other goalies are dealing with in all, car- all different parts of the country. Um, There is a severe lack of education and resources for the goaltending position. And that's what inspired me to go on my journey and start the goalie guild and start a foundation. And then obviously write the books. I was so, so blessed to cross paths with Mike Valley, who's been a mentor of mine for so many years now. And at the time, ironically, he was the goalie coach for the Dallas stars when we crossed paths. So it was kind of serendipitous in a way. And we both just realized that like, these goaltenders that make it to the elite level have developed so many amazing strategies for how to combat a lot of the obstacles and challenges that you mentioned at the beginning of this question. How do they overcome these, you know, bad games or um, a lack of confidence or teammates that aren't always supportive or a coach that has no clue what it means to be a goalie. You know, these are things that every goalie will face at some point in their journey. And it's always amazing to be able to talk to NHL goalies that have walked the walk and to be able to just pick their brain about how they developed their own strategies. And what's amazing is that the more goalies you talk to um, you know, we were fortunate to write the first book and we talked to some legends like Pekka Rinne and Jimmy Howard and Marty Turco guys that have played hundreds of hundreds of NHL games. They all have their own unique strategies that they learned their own way. And I think it's empowering for younger goalies, whether you're, you know, just starting out at the peewee rank or you're in college and you're grinding for that potential, you know, training camp opportunity with an NHL team to know that every other goalie that's reached this elite level has also been through some of these things, whether it's mental challenges or emotional challenges um, or whatever the case may be. And they have found ways to overcome it and become better versions of themselves. And, you definitely gain a lot of, um, I feel like it's just a lot of confidence and a knowing of what you said that you're not necessarily alone in your journey because you've seen these amazing goalies that you watch on TV that you grow up idolizing, having the same struggles and to see that they've moved through it and moved past it and found strategies to overcome all of those crazy challenges that come with being a goalie. Um, It is empowering and it is inspiring. And you start to realize that you're going to find your own answers Um, as you continue on in your journey. No one's necessarily going to teach it to you um, or give you all of those answers. You're going to find those answers just by naturally playing the game. Um, And to know that those answers are going to emerge again is an empowering thing. and, And thankfully, you know, we've had the chance to help a lot of goalies through these books. Not because we're preaching a certain strategy or a certain science or anything like that. It's literally just sharing what other NHL goalies have gone through and their openness, um, you know, is really empowering for everyone. And so, yeah, that's kind of the impetus and, and the reason why, you know, we started to write these books and why we feel they, they have a lot of value for the goalie community.
1: All right lots of good nuggets in there let's let's start with just pulling out one piece um which is a lot of coaches and players don't understand the goaltending position uh, and mm-hmm. i'd like to illustrate this with a, a story that uh, mitch corn once told me um uh, which was, was he was a goalie coach i think it was college at this time maybe it was early pro but um you know he was working with attendees and one night the goalie Gave up a goal, and the coach was like, you can't be giving that up. You need to be staying on your feet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Mitch is like, okay, fine. We'll work on that and do that. You know, you're the head boss here. Like, this is your ship. We'll run it. So, they they work on that, and I think it was like the next week, the uh, goalie gets beat five holes he stayed on his feet, and the coach is like, that's a terrible goal. You got to stop that. And Mitch goes like, you, you can't have it both ways. Like it's either mm-hmm. like you're, you're going to have one or the other, like choose which way. And um like, just understand like, what is truly a bad goal versus, which is not like, I, I again, I had a brother, so I kind of have a better idea of like what's really hard and what's not so hard. And which I think uh shooters study more goalies, that'd be great. Like I throw content out on my newsletter and on the podcast and goalie stuff just does not get enough love. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, It needs more. Like, cause if
2: you're a goalie, it's fantastic. If you're a shooter, even better. Right. Yeah. I I think, you know, one of the challenges is that goalies face is that sometimes they're hearing a lot of voices from those that haven't actually, like I said, walked the walk. Right. And so I think when you hear voices from individuals that um, don't put on the mask themselves and don't step behind, you know, players and take shots, it's kind of like, well, do you really know what I'm experiencing? And so there's always this iron curtain of misunderstanding between what a goalie is experiencing behind the mask and what others are seeing. And naturally, as the goaltender, you are the last line of defense, right? So you're taking on this role that comes with inherent pressure and inherent stress because if something goes wrong in a hockey game and a team gets scored on – Where's everyone looking? They're looking at the goalie because they're the last line of defense. Doesn't matter that the puck went through three defenders and guys missed assignments and 8 million other things happened between the time the puck was dropped and it crossing the goal line. It's like, oh, well, the goalie didn't stop it. Let's, you know, what's the, what's wrong. And when you have people constantly asking what's wrong or why didn't you do something that you're supposed to do, it definitely grinds on you a little bit um, because Automatically, I think a lot of goalies, and especially at the younger ages, when you don't have the experience and you don't have the wisdom of, you know, letting things go and understanding that people may not um, be seeing things from your perspective, it, it, you know, just generally speaking, there's not a lot of empathy in goaltending because it really does take one to know one. Do you get what I'm saying? So when you don't have, when you have that misunderstanding, and you feel like you're constantly defending yourself. Um, or constantly trying to get people to explain how difficult and how challenging it can be to stop the puck sometimes, you know, it wears on you after a while. Um, And again, when it comes to the mental game, it's it's just trying to manage those emotions because you don't always have someone to turn to that's going to understand what you're going through. Like you said, uh, uh, Greg, it's it, there's only one other goalie on the team. And, and you're lucky if you guys are actually you guys or girls are actually friends with each other and have that open dialogue. Um, so there's just not a lot of places or ways for goalies um, to be able to express themselves in a way that again is safe and is being done with others that also understand what it means to be a goalie. So I think that's why you hear like goalies are a really tight knit group and it's a very small community because it it really is. Um, And even today with all the analytics and the additional info out there, there's still a shortage of goalie analysis and goalie content and goalie resources. Um, So, so it is a challenge and it can be difficult, but That's not to say that there aren't places you can go or there aren't resources out there that can give you and teach you some of these strategies that the elite goalies have learned over the years.
1: Yeah, let's push everyone to uh in goal magazine, which does not charge enough, not even close. They need to raise the prices. Um, uh, obviously at the goalie guild and, and a bunch of other areas to go to. I'll let you list off because uh, you'll know better than me. But I, I want to talk about uh bad goals, you know. So let's let's talk about the RVH goals. When you know someone just gets sniped short-sided, like goes off their helmet and in, and
2: everyone's like, Oh man, what like what are they doing? Like mm-hmm. your thoughts. <laughs> um the RVH and a lot of the post-play techniques are still incredibly successful. You're always going to have goals from bad angles. You're always going to have goals that trickle in and find little holes. It's part of the game. That's how it happens. But if you were to actually look at the statistics – of how many dead angle or bad angle or goal line shots are actually stopped in the RVH, the percentage is still very high. So I think what happens, and this alludes to what we were just discussing and what you mentioned earlier, people see those goals, but they don't also realize how talented some of the shots are from those angles. NHL players can do things with the puck on their stick blade that, um, blow my mind on a pretty regular basis. And it doesn't matter if you're six foot eight or you hold your edges until the very last second, or you've got every single square inch of space sealed pucks are going to find their way through goalies and over the shoulders and around the head. It's just part of the game. Now it doesn't mean you just, you know, brush it aside and be like, Oh, whatever. It's a bad angle goal. I'm not even going to look at it. You still look at the tape. You still look at like your angles and your positioning and your squareness and all of those things. But to overanalyze it, I think you start to dig a little bit of a hole for yourself. Um, So me personally, as a goalie, a former e-bug, um, I see the talent and I see the knowledge and, and the education that the players are getting and that the snipers are getting on how to manipulate pucks and get them up under the bar and find holes in these positions that goalies are in on post play and dead angle plays and wraparounds, whatever the case may be. So yes, goalies are, um, are being exposed, but, it's still wildly very successful when it comes to, you know, stopping a lot of pucks. So I think you have to be really careful, um, how you judge a goalie just based on one bad goal or one bad RVH goal. It's going to happen. It's still a complicated, you know, tactic. Um, getting your body into that position is not easy, especially when you have to do it on a dime at a split second. And, um, yes, I'm an apologist. So yes, I give goalies the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time, but I think generally speaking, it's not nearly as bad as some of the, um, analysts make it out to be. It's a really good talking point because it's like, Oh, look at this NHL goalie. He just gave up this horrible goal. Let's talk about it. Um, but when you look at the big picture, again, I think it's still wildly successful in NHL goalies. Um, can still get better at being in an active mindset in a passive position, if that makes sense. So like you're getting into this really, um, this really complicated reverse VH position and you can still keep your hands active and have an active mindset in that position. You don't have to lock yourself in and be this robotic blocking goalie. You can still find ways to steer pucks or cover pucks um, or just keep pucks to the short side. So, yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's kind of my general thought on it. I don't know if you agree or not, but I think a lot of them are a little bit overblown. They're going to happen, and generally speaking, most of the time, goalies are making saves in those positions. Yeah, I think it's uh, sometimes like an airplane crash. Like they do happen, but they're
1: actually much safer than if you're driving to all of your destinations. But it looks a, yeah. when it
2: happens, you know, it's newsworthy. Right. You know, it's it, looks highlight catastastro- yeah. it looks catastrophic too, because it just, it's a bad look. It's like any, a Jacob Markstrom, who's 10 foot 10, you know, fills the whole net should not be allowing a puck from that close in. But one thing I learned from, I think this might've been for Mitch or it was from Mike Valley. So I apologize. I don't remember. Cause it was a long time ago, but he taught me. And as soon as I saw it, it was like, Oh my God, now I see it everywhere sort of thing. It's like, you love Jeep Cherokees and, you really want one. And then when you go driving somewhere, all you see is Jeep Cherokees, right? So this was one of those things, but the quote was in the playoffs, especially as the games get, um, as the games ramp up in intensity and importance, pucks do weird things. Like you see pucks do things that you don't see in regular season games in the playoffs. Don't know how to explain it. I think it's the intensity. The players are just like, they step up their game a little bit. And, and it's true for a lot of dead angle plays and, and pucks that are in tight pucks do weird things. Sometimes they turn up on their sides. They find the tiniest little hole um, that happens. That's part of the game. And so to microanalyze it or overanalyze it, I think goalies need to be careful with that. And sometimes it is OK to just brush it aside and be like, you know what? It's a freak play. Um, I'm going to be better next next time. I'm going to make sure you know, I'm really tracking down on that puck, whatever, like one or two simple reminders on dead angle plays, I think is all you need and then move on. Yeah.
1: It comes down to the idea of like, what's the correct decision in a situation. doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but was it the best based on the information at hand, read, et cetera, all of that. So uh, to, to finish this little piece up here, let's let's do a quote from Mitch corn <clears throat> beer pong is a game of shots quarters is a game of shots playing goal is not a game of shots it's a game of situations and every situation you have to figure it out mm-hmm. which goes back to that idea of the active mindset that you, you just talked about so i i love that quote um and anytime i get an opportunity to talk about it i'm not going to pass it up so
2: thanks yeah, thanks mitch, for bringing that up yeah mitch would be really proud because he is the king of those one-liners and that's a really good one because um he taught me this and I have learned in my own studies and in my own experiences playing that, uh, goaltending really is problem solving with a lot of gear on it's problem solving. Um, every situation is a new problem that needs to be solved. It may not always result in a shot on goal. Um, but you also have to think of the position as, you know, you're one of five on the ice or one of six on the ice. Um, so you're a component of a team that's trying to defend a goal. And that's an important mindset, I think, for goalies to understand as well, is that even though you are in the blue paint on your own um, and you're the last line of defense and it can get lonely, you're still part of a five or six-man unit that has to defend your end of the ice. Um, And so being able to work in concert with your defensemen and have that communication and understand where scoring threats are coming from And what possibly might go wrong in a situation, whether you're killing a penalty or it's an empty net or whatever, um, is part of that problem solving. So, yeah. Great quote from Mitch. He's got a bajillion. There needs to be a book of Mitchisms at some point in time because maybe that's something that's a project I, I, I for you. I think that's perfect for you.
1: Just you know, <laughs> for me,
2: yeah. A nice little um, short booklet of that. I'll, I'll take ten pages. I'll, I'll I'll pay that one. Yeah, you've got you you you've got a few Mitchisms, but yes, um, that's a great quote and and yeah, very very much in line with um, how I view the position and how a lot of a lot of us view the position as goaltending as problem solving.
1: Yes. Um, so I, I just want to cover one definition for people out there. Uh, Cause we, we've kind of mentioned it a few times um, maybe once directly and a few times indirectly, but th- what's the difference between a blocking save and a reaction save?
2: So a blocking save, I would say to define it simply is when you go into a set position before the shot comes. So a blocking mode save is you are, you are, Basically, anticipating a shot in a way that allows you to set your body and not move any of your extremities whatsoever. So, you get into a certain stance or a certain position and hold it for as long as possible, even after the puck has hit you. An active stance save or an active save is a little bit of the opposite where. There could be some movement of your extremities, whether it's a shoulder lean or you're reaching slightly for a puck or you're trying to get an elbow on an elevated shot um, from the ice level. It is having that active mindset that I'm going to actively react and move an appendage or move a body part in order to get behind the puck, as opposed to just getting into one set position, not moving anything and staying there. Um, I feel like that's the best way to explain active versus (laughs) passive or, you know, active versus blocking mode. And don't get me wrong. There are, you know, situations um, when a blocking mode type save is, you know, adequate and um, the most efficient way to stop the puck. But for the most part, I think goalie coaches, generally speaking, want to see goalies that are more in that active mindset and can respond to any given situation when pucks do do those weird things. If you do give up a wonky rebound, for example, and the puck goes off your shoulder and it's just kind of laying there, you don't want your goalie to just be stuck in a blocking mode and just staying there. You want them to actively reach down and try and cover that loose puck or reach out with the stick blade and kick the puck away into the corner, right? So it's not necessarily just a physical move. It's also a mental component of you know how you approach a situation um with with right. your body. So, set feet or backflow? Um I like a little bit of backflow. I I, oh, I am okay. I, I've seen it I, go both ways with goalie <laughs> coaches these days. I, I think a little bit of movement is okay. Um, for me personally it feels better I feel a little bit more engaged in a play so what's the old adage we use for stopping breakaways right on a breakaway or a penalty shot it's you match the speed of the shooter when you're backing up and so that that like mindset has always for me worked pretty well and even within the flow of a you know, penalty kill or whatever the case may be. I like to have those short little movements that you see those short little shuffles, those short little micro adjustments, because it just helps me feel like my positioning and my squareness is a little bit more accurate as opposed to if i maybe don't have a little bit of that flow. And now maybe I'm a little bit of behind a play when I'm trying to go cross crease for a pass right so those are just little examples but yeah I like a little bit of movement backward flow in my in my game at least personally all right perfect um, <laughs> so and anyone who has no idea and is completely lost right now just just Google all of this go to go, uh, go to Engle magazine that's all go to Engel Mag-
1: magazine I'll have it I'll have some stuff on post play and whatnot like RVH specifically on, on the hockey IQ newsletter so we'll, we'll have that for you but yeah there you go that back back flow has not been written about yet um, so we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that as a mystery for people that don't know goaltending and set the stage for them to go find their own answers a little bit. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. So where, where I'd love to go next on this, um, kind of comes into the, uh, the global goalie retreat that you do in Ridge, which is getting people from all over the world that know their stuff about goaltending, um, into,
2: is it, is it a room or do you guys go out for hikes together? We do. We do both. We do both. So um, yeah, it's, it's for me, what I've noticed over the years is that goalie coaches um, spend a lot of time working with their goalies in a team setting, getting ready for the next game, right? So win or lose, whatever the case may be, it's a lot about maintenance and it's a lot about making sure skills are honed. What it doesn't provide goalie coaches is a creative space to try new things. You don't get a lot of time as a team goalie coach or an NHL goalie coach to try new things during the season. Because again, it's all about maintenance, preparation, getting your guys ready for the next game. So in order for, and this is me personally speaking, my philosophy is in order for the position to truly evolve in terms of how we coach it, Not only do we have to observe goalies because goalies are the ones that evolve the game because they're the ones in the crease doing the movements and problem solving like we talked about, but you also have to create an environment where goalie coaches can come together, learn from each other, share ideas, and then have a space to try new things. And that is what the Global Goaltending Retreat is mostly all about, is creating a safe, private environment where goalie coaches from different parts of the world that have different cultures, different ideas, different ways of explaining things. They come together for three or four, four or five days and they just iterate and they try new things. And so we do get on the ice. We um, Breckenridge is amazing because it's the highest elevated rink in North America. So not only do the goalies that come out and demo for us, not only do they get an unreal training experience because the elevation is naturally um a good constraint but it's also an awesome space an awesome environment for coaches to just go out and try stuff that they like wanted to try so badly during the season but never had that environment because they know if a head coach saw them try this kooky drill or this crazy skating drill the coach would be like oh no none of that you're not using my ice time for this sort of thing right so the goalie coaches really value that time together because You know, not all the time do you get a chance to hang out with a goalie coach from Finland for three days and learn what they're doing with their top end guys or a goalie coach from Australia or, you know, we even have goalie coaches from Mexico come out um, to this event. And so having all of these different minds and different cultures come together for the betterment of, you know, not only the position as a whole, but how we coach the position Um, is really, really special. And it's been an awesome learning experience for myself to just watch um, as I create that environment. But for all the coaches that come out, and especially for the goalies, I think the goalies really enjoy it because, you know, they get the opportunity to actually work with these goalie coaches from all over the world um, and try the new drills that they want to um, try out. And so it just creates this awesome learning environment and sharing environment where The coaches are creating friendships that are valued because they can kick ideas back and forth without the stress of worrying about whether it looks dumb or, you know, the coach is going to think, you know, something negative of them. Um, And again, we go back to the lack of resources and the lack of, you know, opportunities for goalies and goalie coaches this is one of those things I try to combat against by creating this environment. So I wish I could do the retreat 10, 15 times a year because the goalie coaches value it so much because you just never get a chance to do that anywhere else. Um, And so, yeah. So, so I got (laughs) to
1: ask now, now they got me curious. What are the challenges that goalie coaches are trying to solve? Or like, what were some of the hot topics the last few years that goalie coaches are trying to solve? That is a challenge for their tenders.
2: Yeah, I think the challenge right now is, well, that's that's a really good question. Let me let me think. I think I'll, I'll, I'll start broader than just like a typical hockey game, okay? So the challenge at, 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 on a broader scale is team practices are not really very good for goalies, right? We can say that pretty safely. You don't want your goalie facing two-on-os and two-on-ones and repeated shots without being able to set their feet or a million of reps that aren't really conducive to learning specific techniques. Um, there's a lot of good content on in goal magazine actually about how NHL goalies just really battle with practice environment because they have to look good and make saves, but it doesn't always support their technical game and it doesn't always support the growth of confidence. So goalie coaches right now, I think are looking for solutions on how to solve this problem of, Team practices are not great. And we don't always have that goalie specific time um, to work on things that we need to work on. So you've got to find those avenues somewhere else. So that's one thing is like team practices are not great for goalies. How do we overcome that? Another broad scope one is just general workload management because you do butterfly and train a lot during a season And the workload is high. How do we manage the workload so that maybe there's not so much stress and impact on the hips? Because we know that goalies are dealing with a lot of hip issues and a lot of injuries. Look at what just happened to Vasilevsky. And um, all of a sudden back injuries seem to be emerging out of, you know, I don't want to say nowhere, but all of a sudden we're starting to see goalies deal with some back issues um, which hasn't really been a thing for a while. And like, we know that the workload management is really, really difficult. You know, some NHL goalies are still playing 58, 60 games in a regular season, plus all of that practice time. And you wonder why they have injuries at the end of the regular season, like what happened to Saros, right? So those are two of the more broad scope, you know, elements of the position that I think coaches are really looking for solutions for is workload management, practice environments are not great. I think within the context of a game, um, we're starting to realize more and more how important edge work is, which it's always been important, but now it's just even more important because again, shooters are evolving and they're changing the angles of their shot releases. They're finding really deceptive ways to mask the shot release um, and change of direction. And when you have all of this change of direction, and you know, these subtle changes in shot angles and shot trajectory and shot releases, goalies need to be able to rely on their edges that much more in order to be in position and to be patient and square. So edge work is a real hot topic for the goalie coaches that come to the retreat. And in order to kind of support the learning um, that takes place in that area, what I did is I partnered with an amazing skating coach, and edge work coach by the name of Katie Joe West. And she primarily works with skaters on their edge work and their skating ability. But we actually brought her out to teach us something, teach the goalies something, and the goalie coaches something about how to use your edges. And that was really fascinating because traditionally goalie coaches and goalies don't work with skating coaches, right? Maybe a few will here and there. Um, but to learn from her and have her come out and just kind of be on the ice with us, you know, showing us some of the edge work stuff that she does with her players was really fascinating and opened up a lot of eyes to some things that we can teach our goalies on how to better manipulate their edges. So, excuse me, those are just a few of the things that we've been discussing. Um, and that doesn't even get into the mental game or, you know, the psychological or, um, that component of goaltending, which is, I like to say, goaltending is 90% mental. So, um, you know, the concept of ecological dynamics and skill acquisition, you know, there's a lot of different things out there that we are trying to solve for. Um, But I think I highlighted two or three of like the real major ones right now. To answer your question, we're not not worried about the Michigan very much. We're not worried about that too much. It's a little scary, but... I think for the most part, goalies are either just going to push you out of the way or, you know, get their shoulders up. So we didn't spend too much time, very little time on uh, on the Michigan. Yeah. what What's in the news versus what's actually important, you know, exactly.
1: And the fundamentals uh, n- never go away. It's, you know, the idea of uh, big rocks, pebbles and sand. Yeah. You know, yeah. Can't, Good can't, analogies. Can't, can't,
2: can't, can't fill up with sand, a.k.a. the Michigan move. You know, you can worry yeah. about that at the very end. I can tell you're a bit you're truly children of the corn because your analogies are spot on.
1: Crazy how that works. But uh <laughs> okay, so n- you you t- all right, I want to get to the learning designs and coaching. One mm-hmm. thing before we get there, um I want to talk on is shooters. So you talked about deceptive ways they're masking shot releases. Can you give us an
2: example or two of what they are doing? Um yeah, yeah, I, I and I I see this and it's it's a great challenge. It's just this awesome tug of war between shooters and goaltenders. Um and it's always been happening, but it's just, you know, as I get a little bit older and I I learn more context around skill acquisition and things like affordances um, and degrees of freedom, you know these buzz terms out of that emerge out of um, ecological dynamics. I'm seeing the game a little bit differently now, and I think shooters have gotten one. For example, is just like I always am interested if a shooter chooses black tape or white tape on their stick blade, right? So, is there a reason why? And this is just a little thing. This is a little bit of an anomaly, but like a puck that comes off of stick blade that's got black tape is a little bit harder for a goalie to see. Now, if a shooter uses white tape, I actually feel like it's a little bit easier to see that release because there's some contrast between the puck and the tape, right? So, that's a little nuance of a thing that I never used to think about before and now I actually wonder, I ask the question, hmm, does that make a difference? Um, so that's that's like one little nuance thing that, you know, either here nor there at the end of the day it doesn't really matter it's not going to make a huge difference but it's just something i think about but ultimately for shooters i think there's a lot of deception that's happening not necessarily just like with the stick blade but the extension of the stick blade to the wrists and the wrist action is always really interesting for me because i think as the sticks get lighter the players can be way more deceptive and really um accelerate the release of a shot and I don't know the mechanics of it because I'm not a shooter myself, but that is where I'm starting to spend more time is actually watching a lot of the different um, drills or information online from shooting coaches, whether it's on the coaches site or it's just on Instagram or on some of these other hockey websites for shooting coaches is actually listening into those conversations and learning what shooting coaches are teaching shooters. And a lot of it is about um, deceptive releases and, you know, shooting angle of your body and all the different kinematic chains of the different body parts that come into play in releasing a puck. And it can also be about where the skates are pointed. Um, all of these different little information sources that reveal how a shot is going to come off a stick blade and hit the net is, um, is where goalies and goalie coaches are starting to spend a little bit more time because the more we learn about that, the more we can learn about how to better be prepared for it. If that makes sense. You you bring up a great, great point
1: here. Um, and I'm going to try to simplify this down to an ism I'm going to start revac isms, hopefully soon uh, <laughs> the puck does not tell you anything. If a goalie just looks directly at the puck, you will have no idea what is about to happen. You need to look into cues, into blade angles and Mm -hmm. body. I call it body shape. Like how is that person shaping their body for the shot? And those are the actual things you need to be looking at. Not keep your eye on the puck, son. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
1: Maybe all the way into the glove, like that will be helpful. But more often, if you're trying to gain hints into where that puck's going to go, where the shooter is thinking about firing this, the puck, you know what? Take the puck Literally, just have your goalies take the puck and just keep asking it questions all day, every day until they come to the point of like, okay, coach, I get it. The puck literally doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. I, I can't do that. Maybe I should go ask the shooters or be looking somewhere else because nothing that you see or, you know, being told by the puck, which is obviously nothing, actually gives anything away. So I think that is a key point that you bring up there is, you know, where are you finding these little things? And I think for like shooters, like changing a blade angle is always great. Like you you get it best in the NHL when they do like shootouts, the Mm -hmm. the guy has a closed blade. And then the last second he just opens it up, goalie drops his hand and goes right above. And it's like, okay, that's fantastic. Or the old, like I'm going to open my body shape where it looks like you're going to go bar down. And then suddenly it's five hole. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like that's always really fun.
2: Yeah. That's, that's an awesome point about, you know, the puck, not telling you, you know, where it's going to go. And I think, you know, for a while there, goalie's, got really really excited about head trajectory and um puck tracking and i think we got a little bit over focused on just tracking the puck and then you started to see a lot of goalies with blinders on right like when a horse is in a stall and it's getting ready to bust out of the gate they have blinders on so they can't see the other horses next to them and i feel like i see that with goalies sometimes they're so p- fo- they're so focused on tracking that puck into their body that they lose information that's really vital um, to a play and to reading a play cleanly because they're not looking at anything else. They're not leaning on their peripheral vision. They're not leaning on those subtle little clues um, and cues that you mentioned earlier in terms of like what the shooter is doing and um, what affordances it has, you know, a shooter has when they look at a goalie. And so, yes, I think a lot of, solutions that goalies are looking for in terms of like how to get square to a puck, how to manage a player that's dragging a puck towards the middle of the ice and then shooting it the opposite way. Um, Those solutions emerge out of the play naturally itself. And if you just give yourself the best opportunity to make the save by um, reading the play, not just tracking the puck, You know, if something does break down or the puck does get redirected or, you know, a player comes from the side and um, out of a blind corner and all of of a sudden just cuts directly in front of your view of the puck, you know, you're aware of that potential, you know, problem. And so, yes, I agree. I think goalies sometimes get too narrowly focused on the puck and they lose sight of the bigger picture for a lack of better terms. And that is where that problem solving comes into play and that ability to just realize that the cues and the clues are coming from the shooter itself, not just the stick blade and the puck. Um, So widening that focus and having a little bit more of a stronger IQ by reading plays. Um, Yeah, that's that's one thing that we... Definitely, are trying to teach goalies is just getting better at game IQ, hockey IQ, goalie IQ, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's it's a little bit of a lost skill, and um, it's our job as coaches to you know create environments where goalies can really train that. Oh
1: man, I'm going to continue to tease that because that's where we're heading next. But I, I got one last piece here um, on on the shooters. So I, I think it's really fascinating. Like shooting's all about like puck movement, right? Trying to get the goalie's feet. Like that's kind of the current understanding out there um i I think shooting and scoring off the carry is incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. and i always find it hilarious like you watch a shooter they usually go right at the goal which means they're going right at the goalie (laughs) but i see some shooters doing some really interesting things like nathan mckinnon is a a really good example tage thompson does this a little bit as well of they're actually their final step is either across or it is down towards the goal line Mm -hmm. which obviously a goalie is trying to get set and then suddenly you're going to go to a goal line now you've got to readjust the three different like angles that you need to kind of you know squareness etc
2: mm-hmm. um
1: and i think that's that's really fascinating if like how are shooters trying to get the one up because most of the yeah. times, shooters just go straight at you and then it's like okay you just play the shot and if it's close it's blocking maybe get a little more active but Uh, I think Nathan McKinnon there, you know, since you're in Colorado, we'll we'll use the prime example. Like he'll just make this one final skate push towards the goal line and then beat Mm -hmm. you short side. And it's incredible.
2: Yeah. I think he, first of all, Nathan McKinnon is a scary individual. Um, When he's carrying the puck with speed, just look out. We've seen it a million times. And I think one thing that he does really well is like you said, at the last second, he's forcing the goalie to extend. And when you force a goalie to extend, whether it's a leg at the last second or an arm at the last second, you're creating holes. And excuse me, when the puck is in tight like that and close to the net, the distance that the puck travels when he's pulling it to either side is greater than if the puck was 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet away. Because when the puck is further away, you have to move less. That's, that's just geometry 101. When the puck is in tight and it moves a lengthy distance, you're forced to extend. You have to lean a shoulder. You have to pull an arm out away from the center of your body. You have to pull your knees apart from the center of your body. And I think that's where he's just opening up holes and he has the strength at the last second to manipulate the puck whether it's elevating it or finding that gap in between the skate blade and the post, right? So the ability for him to come and attack with speed is already putting goalies on their heels a little bit and forcing them to be extremely patient. Um, And while they're trying to track the puck, you know, that last second adjustment or that last second pull or an extension on either side from McKinnon um, especially a guy like Tage Thompson, Thompson, who's got crazy reach, but actually a sh- maybe a shorter stick than you would think. Um, it's very deceptive and it's extremely difficult because, you know, it's, it's all happening in such a split instant. But, um, I would see a lot of times, especially in the years when the Avs had Grubauer and Francis was healthy, you know, those were two smaller goalies. And it was really apparent that he was able to open them up a lot of times because, they were smaller. And so those last instant extensions uh, was really forcing the goalie to pull away from its center, his center and just open holes. And it's hard to make that save when you're, you know, right on your goal line or it's the very last moment um, when you're expecting one thing and then something else happens. So McKinnon is really good at it. Tage Thompson. I love that you mentioned him because I just saw the, the piece um, online about, you know, the stick length, right? Like he's this, lumbering human being and he's using a stick blade that you know i'm barely six feet tall and i would use it so or a stick that's much shorter than you would expect so yeah i think the shooters are extremely intelligent especially at that level um and a lot of those things you don't necessarily see from watching on tv but when you're live or up close you really see it um and it's it's incredibly challenging for goalies
1: all right, we're on Zoom. No one's going to be able to see this, but I'm going to share my screen here uh, so you okay. can look exactly at what, what I'm thinking here. Like how, how McKinnon really never like skates directly at a goalie. I think it's incredible. So like this one right here, like he's going literally around the goalie, which is incredible at an NHL when you're shooting from above the hash marks.
2: Yeah, and this, the puck actually comes off his stick blade and he's got one skate in the air, right? So there's just that extra movement that can throw a goalie off.
1: Yeah. Or then this one right here, like he's getting at the goalie and then you see the last minute, like push off the left leg where instead of going mm-hmm. at the goalie, he's now going at the goal line. And again, he's able to go around the goalie a little bit, get that short yep. side. Stupid. Good. Absolutely.
2: Incredible. It, it's, it is. It, I mean, and that's the thing is like when you slow it down or you really, you know, take the time to appreciate the subtle movement and the subtle shift or the subtle changes you're like, oh wow, that that's I can understand how that is a really hard shot to stop. But when you lock watch it at full speed, you're like, How do you get beat short side there? Like the goalie's there. It's like, well, you really gotta take a look at um one, understanding just the, the pace and the speed of which these plays happen, and then just the release itself is ungodly fast. That's why he's Nathan McKinnon and he's making yeah, millions that's of how you, dollars. How you get peed, uh, yeah. You know, you're you're no longer dealing with seven figures, you're going to eight. Right. Uh so
1: so what's another way that shooters can make life hard on the goalie? Like for for me, I've always heard uh when in doubt, shoot it in the goalie's feet. Like always hard to to sort out feet, especially within movement. Um, that would be the common idea that I would have. But like from your perspective, what's something that you're like, damn it, stop doing that? That's really difficult for me.
2: Yeah, I think um I won't just say individually the shooter. Like I think there's, there's a couple of obvious things. Um, but for me, honestly, what I'm seeing a lot of now is, um, how do I put this? One thing that really bothers me is like shooters are also getting better at shooting in between the defenseman's feet. And I actually just posted a video of this on, on Twitter or X or whatever, a day or two ago. um, I was having a conversation with an analyst and he was like, oh, there's a new metric it's, that they're tracking. It's um, between the leg shots. And he was referring to a shooter that actually puts his or her stick in between their own legs and then tries to roof it. I was actually thinking of something totally different. I was thinking of like shots actually through a defenseman's legs and how difficult that can be. So I think... One thing that's really challenging is just any time that you can use your own defenseman, your own player, or another player to slightly take away the eyes of the goalie. So being able to shoot just directly on the outside of a leg or, like I said, in between a shooter's legs doesn't have to be a hard shot, doesn't always have to be 100% accurate, but if you are able to somehow um, release a shot that forces a goalie to have to look through or around or in between something, your chances of success are going to go up. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And that's not just a one-on-one thing. So I apologize that that's a little bit circumnavigating your question, but I'm just thinking generally right now, what grinds my gears and what I'm seeing more of is, is exactly that is shooters. I think, and think about this. And again, I'm not a shooting coach, so, you know, I don't know, but I just wonder how much time is being spent, like looking at those situations and does it pay to maybe take a little bit off of a shot velocity in order to screen or um, complicate the goalie's ability to track it cleanly from the moment it comes off the stick blade until the moment it hits the net. And if you can somehow find a way or get better at shooting through or just around or in between or whatever um, you can't stop what you can't see. And you don't always have to see it a hundred percent of the way for it to be deceptive. So even just, let's say there's a guy right in front of a puck and you're shooting between the legs, that instant of that puck coming off the stick blade if it's passing through something, it's taking away your vision for that split second. That might be all you need in order to just barely miss it or excuse me, just barely not be able to get a glove or a shoulder and elbow on it. So yeah, I think for me personally, that's the one that's grinding my gears the most right now is those deceptive releases that are going through legs around legs um, and through bodies. Um it seems like there's less traffic at the
1: net these days. Like uh, there's a lot more like moving screens or arriving at the that net is, on yes. time rather than just sitting someone there.
2: <clears throat> yes.
1: Yeah. I'm Curious I was... of just like, cause, uh, there's that element. Cause it used to be like, you put someone at the net,
2: they stay at the net. I forget the guy in Detroit. Like that was like his job. Like he was Thomas Holmstrom. Yeah, Holmstrom. yeah. Yeah. Just was... <clears throat> sit there. <laughs> See, and you, you bring up a good point. And so I, I love hearing this. Cause I think, it makes me feel like I'm not the only one seeing this, but the mid to high slot redirects where guys are just floating across the Royal road or the center of the ice looking for these opportunities for those high or those mid slot directions. Those are killer because the goalie has already read the release, the original release. So they're anticipating or they're moving into a lane and then it changes 50, whatever, however many feet away from the net, high circles, high slot area, excuse me, those are killer. And I see shooters even getting really good at turning their body and deflecting pucks as it's coming past their body. And that also is extremely complicated for a goalie because again, you're already starting to move into a certain pattern or a certain stance or a certain shot lane And then someone's buzzing by you, or I don't want to say by you, but is buzzing through the low slot or the high slot area and their body is turning as this puck's coming by and they're able to get their stick on it or get a body part on it. And it just completely changes the trajectory and the pace of that shot. And those are killer, right? And so you're at least probably creating a bad rebound where the goalie's all of a sudden sliding out of the net and the puck's going the other way. I mean, it just causes chaos and we don't like chaos. We like structure. And so that's what I'm seeing a lot more of in the past couple of seasons is the high mid slot. And then players actually crossing the path of the puck, turning their body and finding a way to get a stick on it. And yeah, no thanks.
1: Yeah. Real fun.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a shooter. Love it. As a goalie. Not so much. Um, so we we've talked about this a few times and are finally ready to go there. Uh, I think we we've, Shaking a few things out of the trees. Um, talking about learning design. I'm not going to say coaching design or practice design. Because really we want not just to coach and teach. But we want the, what we're teaching and coaching to actually be learned. So I'm going to call them learning designs. Mm-hmm. From a learning design. You've already talked about like CLA, ecological dynamics. All these big mm-hmm. buzzwords. So one, yeah. we'll simplify those down. Two, how do we go about teaching this stuff to goalies because there's the technical side of the game where you kind of need to have certain movements that are very repetitive, but at the same point you're talking about, okay, we're not getting away from <clears throat> that because it's almost too robotic and mm-hmm. into the UC Saros, the Devin Levi's of the world mm-hmm. where the reading and how we develop reads actually occurs.
2: Yeah. I I think, well, that's, Welcome to the world of Justin Goldman. This is what I'm studying daily is how do we take these awesome emerging ideas around you know, practice design and skill acquisition and actually efficiently and effectively correlate it to goaltending, which is such a niche position in a niche sport. And um, the answers aren't there yet, which is really cool and fun and exciting because Um, It's emerging as time goes on. And I think you can take these, you know, these basic principles of ecological dynamics and skill acquisition, like you mentioned, you know, the constraints led approach, which is becoming much more popular and um, much more mainstream in hockey and look at situations where it makes sense to try and add constraints to a goaltender um, in order to open them up to new solutions that can organically happen in a game. Um, like we just talked about, the game is chaotic. There's a million things. There's a million variable variables that you have to account for when you know trying to make a save in a, in a, in a game situation. And a lot of it isn't just strictly the puck coming off the stick blade. Like I said, there's nine other players on the ice that are going to interfere with your shot lanes and your decision-making and where pucks might go. And so trying to break that down by adding constraints is a very difficult balance um, or line to kind of tread because the best drills in hockey for goaltenders are the ones that are the most realistic, right? So you don't want to do drills on plays that aren't actually going to happen in a game. Why are you, Then why are you doing it? That's a waste of time, right? So the, the trick is to find something that's realistic that actually happens in games, but can also allow for creative problem solving and for constraints to be added, whether it's like, okay, you're going to do this drill without a stick. Now Um, that's a constraint, right? Or the constraint is that um, you have to start facing the boards and you have to turn around and then find the puck, right? That's another constraint. So it's kind of, that's why we call it learning design because the goalie coach is no longer just a coach. That's going to spit out the answers and tell you to do this, that, or the other. The coach's goal is to design um, a drill or design a situation where those solutions will naturally emerge out of the play or the drill that you're creating, right? So it's fun because there's a a billion different ways you can do that. But the way that's the most effective is by having a conversation with your goalie, giving your goalie some agency and saying, hey, what do you see in this situation? What... Like you asked me, what do you see that's really, really challenging for goalies right now? And when you give your goalie some agency and you listen to what they say about the problems that they struggle with the most, therein lies your answer in terms of how you can apply constraints to a drill or again, um, a learning experience. And so All right, my, my glove hand sucks. How, how do we make my glove hand better? So, so, okay. How, how do we make your glove hand better? Well, first, first thing is like what, in what type of shots, what situation gives you the most trouble? Is it, um, a backhand shot? Is it, you know, shots that are coming to, you know, from a certain area of the ice, you know, those are the questions I would ask first is like, okay, let's break down the specific situation in which, you know, you say your glove hand sucks Two, I would actually look back and be like, I'm going to go look at the tape and see if his glove hand actually does suck. Cause you may feel something, but in reality, it's not actually there. Right. But if you're really adamant that there's this one specific situation where your glove hand sucks, we would look at that situation and say, okay, how can we replicate this in a way that makes sense? And then from there you look at how to apply constraints. So maybe, um, one of the things I'm going to do is, what do we see goalie coaches do? Sometimes they bring out white pucks, right? So we use white pucks. That's a constraint. The pucks normally black. We're going to make it white. So it's harder for you to see it come off the ice and into the glove. So maybe that's one thing that we would potentially do. But Such then you a pain argue... in the ass to pick up off <laughs> yeah. the ice after the fact. You're like,
1: where's the pucks at? Can't find them. And hopefully the, right? the Zamboni doesn't pick them up
2: <laughs> or, or they get, you know, play, the pucks start to look a little gray because they've been shot so many times. So they don't, look they're like off white right so that's that's one very basic example is like okay the constraint is the puck's a different color now you're being forced to actually track it all the way into your glove and maybe we've isolated a tracking issue okay and so then you start to look at the visual acuity system hey greg have you ever gotten your vision tested well my vision's 2020 okay well there's 2020 vision and then there's actual sport vision. You know, there's a lot of different things that come into play when we talk about, you know, your ability to track pucks. There's divergence. There's convergence. There's a mix between the two. So, Hey, maybe we've actually isolated that it's not necessarily a glove hand mechanic issue. It's something with your tracking. Maybe that's the solution. So that's where the problem solving comes into play. And that's where the agency comes into play, which I think is so important for goalie coaches to have with their goalies is it's a two-way street. You can't just look at a goalie and isolate a problem by looking at it. You have to have a conversation with the goalie and make sure you truly understand, you know, where their challenges lie. And that's built through a relationship. And when you have a strong relationship with your goalie, And he or she feels safe enough to tell you what they're actually struggling with because they're not worried about getting benched or you thinking that they suck. You know, that's where the learning takes place. And that's where the practice design becomes much more efficient because you pinpointed things that actually matter. Um, So there's a million different ways that you can, you know, solve for this problem you have, Greg, of your glove hand sucks. And maybe we've isolated, it's a tracking issue and we're going to go see a vision specialist just to get a better idea of where your vision's at. That's happening with a lot of goalies right now. We read articles about Devin Dubnik doing it in Minnesota. Um, and more and more goalies now actually go and get their vision tested and do vision training away from the rink or away from the ice as a way to combat that potential issue. Um, so, yeah, we've done, some, we've done some learning design, right? We've applied a constraint by using white pucks and we've isolated that your vision is just not that great. We can get that fixed. So you're okay. Your glove hand does not suck, Greg. There, there we go. All <laughs> right.
1: I, I love the example that we give here. You know, we're, we're not just pie in the sky type guys over here. Right. It's fantastic. Um, And yeah, and that, that's really where we're going with this and, and everyone is a goalie coach. If you're coaching a team, like you have responsibility to all of your players, not just your skaters and making sure that we're designing activities that are relatively game, like, you know, ha- having, the the pretzel as a warm up where every shot comes down from the middle, probably not helpful. Uh, Let's get rid of that altogether. That should be out of all practices. You know, like how do we give situations where goalies have to actually make reads in some shape or form? Like that's, that's critical. So don't forget about
2: your goalies, everyone. They are people too. Well, Hey, and I will say on the flip side and here's the question I'm asking. Okay. And I've, I've bundled it all down into um, one question that I have for you. If the drill if the goalie drill is not realistic for the shooter, is it realistic for the goalie? I mean, off, off the top of your head, everyone's going to say no, right? Well, that, the, and that therein lies the, the, the problem that we have to solve is, Hey, if the shooter is just being asked to, okay, you're going to, you're going to, I'm um, here's a, here's a pile of pucks. And I want you to shoot. um I want you to shoot glove side high every time. And the shooter's just like, okay. Pulls it and and you know exactly what's going to happen. Is it really alive? Is it really realistic? I don't think it is. So now you're not just looking at goalie drills through the lens of just the goaltender. You also have to consider the affordances of the shooter because if the shooter isn't feeling challenged or the shooter knows exactly where he's going to place the puck every single time he he shoots a puck it's not really alive. It's not really going to challenge the goalie in a way that's going to allow them to authentically solve problems. So one of the big keys for goalie drills, we talked about white pucks. That's a constraint. Another one is just variability, just just different types of releases in different locations so that the goalie isn't just automatically assuming it's going to go to the same place every time. That's where the robotic quote unquote robotic stuff comes from is the the rote repetition of the same shot going to the same place the same way every single time. Now when you mix it up and you have repetition without repetition and you have some variability mixed in, now the the natural problem solving rises to the surface and you see it in the challenge that the shooter and the goalie has one-on-one. Now it becomes more game-like because – The shooter has some agency to shoot where he or she wants. And the goalie has to respond to that authentically without knowing exactly where it's going to go. So it's trying to take that idea and incorporate it into a training program. And that's, that's why we say goalie coaches are designers. They're not just coaches. All right. I love this.
1: I'm going to try to summarize (laughs)
2: this at a very high level so we can uh, wrap
1: this beautiful sucker up, put a little bow tie on it. Um, we want to create tigers that are able to go out into the wilderness. Okay. We, we want natural tigers. We don't want zoo tigers where we know exactly where our food's coming from, where it's going to be every single day. We, we want zoo tigers that got to go hunt, got to figure it out, read the cues, hunt it
2: down and and make it happen. So that's, um, damn dude, that's actually really good because, I, I think of it as like domestication, right? Um, you lose those natural instincts when you become domesticated. Yeah, sure. Maybe life becomes easier, but when you're tossed back out into the wild, okay? and You don't have your structure and you don't have your goalie coach telling you exactly what to do. Do you have the ability to authentically solve problems? And we see a lot of goalies that are great practice goalies. They get into the game and you're like, what happened? Well, this is uh this is the problem that we're this is another one of those overarching problems we're trying to solve. so you 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 put it perfectly. I think that's an awesome way to explain it. and um we don't want that. We want tigers. we don't want um we don't want zoo tigers. very well put. yeah, we we want jungled cats, okay. Jungle cats want, yes yeah,
1: ju- jungle cats and zoo tigers. that's that's what we're going with. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Uh, all right, so just lightning around here off top of your head, last
2: bit here. Mitch Korn, life lessons, go. Um, Be where your feet are, okay? Um, Mitch Kornism, this is a good... So be where your feet are for goalies themselves. You're not in the NHL yet. Dominate the league that you're in right now. Coaching, Mitch Korn. You don't know it until you own it, okay? You can do all the scouting you want. You can do all the analysis you want. You can look at all the video you want of a goalie. You don't know him until you own him. I think that was the one that really stood out for me that I just, it's always in the back of my head when I'm watching goalies or scouting, you just don't know exactly what you've got until you've got it. And you're never going to know the full picture.
1: Beautiful. All right, Justin, this was fantastic. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, 30 seconds, where can people find you, et cetera, go buy your books off of Amazon. I'll put it in our, uh, hockeys, arsenal.com book recommendations. Uh, I think I already have one or two of yours already up there. I'll make sure they're all in there. Awesome. Uh, anything else?
2: Yeah. The goalie guild.com. Um, that will link you to Lift the Mask, to my books, to my Git book, where I've got all my resources and education and content. Um, so thegoalieguild.com. And then I'm also on Instagram. That's uh, Instagram and I the Twitter machine now known as X. Um, all at thegoalieguild. Beautiful. Thanks, Justin. Have a wonderful day. appreciate you, uh, you taking the time. No worries, man. Thanks for helping me shake off the rust. It's been a while since I've done a podcast like this, so I appreciate it. Awesome conversation.
0: That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you, Buttes, here next week for a brand new episode.